whether you are starting a business or running a business, maybe you're producing a podcast like The Kara Golden Show. Let's face it, it's always way harder than one might expect. Lots of little details, meticulous planning, producing product, guest coordination, editing, promoting each episode. It's all a ton of work. Managing merchandise, managing cases and book sales too, layer after layer of complexity. And if you're like me, looking for ways to operate more efficiently and effectively is the name of the game. That's why I'm going to let you in on a little secret. ShipStation, the tool that is here to help you and you need to know all about it. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me to manage orders from anywhere and print shipping labels with just a click. Seriously, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable. With discounts up to 89% off carrier rates, you can't go wrong. Significant savings. And who doesn't want that? An easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses? Not much churn either. 98% of them stay with ShipStation because it truly works. ShipStation is it. So if you're ready to streamline your shipping process and focus more on what you love, head over to ShipStation.com the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. Keep walking. Freezing up will kill you. I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden with the Kara Golden Show, and I'm super excited to have my next guest here, Rob Lucasio, and he is the CEO and the founder of an incredible company that I know you have heard of. And I was so excited to actually be introduced to him by a mutual friend. Uh, He is the CEO and founder of Live Person. And he started this company during the original dot-com boom and led it through the dot-com bust and navigated his company to even greater heights. And in 2020, he was named in the list of Fast Company's world's most innovative companies. And I'm going to chat today with Rob about just building his company and his journey. So many nuggets of wisdom in uh, his journey along the way that I think we can all learn from. So really excited. Welcome, Rob. 
Thanks, Kara. Thanks for having me. So where did Little Rob start off? I mean, where where did you get started? You're in New York City today. And uh, tell us a little bit more about you growing up. Yeah, so I grew up uh, in Long Island uh, in a place called Babylon. And, uh, you know, middle-class family. My, my family was all entrepreneurs. So I guess, you know, I was in this line. My dad was an entrepreneur and my grandfathers and sister and cousins and it just seemed like we had this entrepreneurial bug. So when I was a kid, I, I, I often say I learned a lot at the, uh, at the dinner table, the struggles and challenges and exciting things and the ups and downs of being in an entrepreneurial family. So I, uh, I started out there and then, uh, and then from there went to school in Baltimore uh, at Loyola University. And then from there, started my first company out of, out of college. Well, first I was fired. I was first fired for my first job, then started my first company. So, what was that first job? <laughs> it was at a place called Elders Eye Excel. I, I, I had studied abroad, and I loved I loved everything international. So, I, I wanted to do international trading. And I, I came out of school in 1990, and the, there was a recession on, or just starting. And um, I remember I got this job, and I was working for a company that was out of Australia, and I, we traded all sorts of things around the world, forest products and chemicals and all sorts of things. And I, I was in a, a division that had about 20 people in it in, uh, outside of Baltimore, Maryland. And I remember I was there for about six months and you know I was doing all sorts of things that a normal person does out of college. And, and I remember one day there, I manned the fax machine. So one of my roles was, there was no email back then. So it was all fax and, and letters. And, um, I had to uh, man the fax. I get a fax and there were orders that would come on the fax, but I get, there's a fax from corporate that says you got to fire me. Like that, you know, they were restructuring because the CEO who was, uh, his name was, uh, I've got something Sinclair. He, he, he went on a buying spree and just bought everything he could get his hands. Like he, bought Elder, he bought Foster's Lager, the brewery. He bought the football team. He bought a hotel in Crazy. Paris. This guy went nuts. It was like general... It was like the GE model. He was going to be a conglomerate of everything he liked. And then yeah. it was all falling apart during the recession. And they had to start firing a lot of the companies. So I was fired by facts. I remember I get the facts. Like, you got to fire this guy. It's got my name. And I'm like, I was conflicted because I had to, you know, I'm gonna, I had to take that to the, the head guy. Basically, my like death sentence. <laughs> I think it, it's so that, I that's like an urban dictionary, dictionary term in the ma- making. Fired by facts, right? <laughs> and literally, I handed it to the guy, and he's like looking at he's looking at me, and like, yeah, I guess you know what this means. Wow, that's <laughs> and I'm like, okay, wild. And then he he took me out. I remember they uh, they they ended up firing me. They were really nice, and they uh, they took me out to lunch, and they said, I remember we had lunch and. It was the end of lunch, and they said, "What? What did you learn from this experience?" And I said, "I said I'll never fucking work for anybody again." I used the f word. I literally just said, "Never." F-. And they yeah. went, "What?" And I got up and I went out of my car and I cried. I just broke down crying, and I was just you know ashamed that I lost my job and sad. I was scared, you know, because I was young. I, you know, I didn't know what would happen next. That's wild. So, what was the next role that you ended up taking? Well, you know, I, I made, I decided I'm, I'm not going to work for anyone again. Like I just thought it was not really for me. And, uh, I made a list of things, you know, I, I wrote down a list of like five things that maybe I wanted to do. And I just wrote them from what was inside of me. I just, what came first top of mind. 
and that's what I did. So I wrote down, like, I want to run an advertising agency and, and all sorts of things. And then I made my way to my first company kind of via that list of five. And that's, that's kind of what I did. So I, I just kind of decided, let's try something else. And how often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. 
I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. So what was the first, what was that first company after you made this list? It was a kiosk company. I had seen at that time, the internet wasn't around yet. I mean, I'd seen the internet, but it was just basically for sharing files and some stuff on when I was in university, you would, the internet wasn't really what it was today. It was just kind of like links to articles and stuff. And I'd seen these kiosks over in the World Financial Center, and uh, this guy, Edwin Schlossberg, made these kiosks, um, and I thought they were really cool. You touch the screen, and there were pictures and stuff. Now, this is 1991 or so, 92, and basically, I was like, this is cool, and then somehow, I found my way to digital video. I was living in Baltimore, but I, I found this husband and wife who were training Navy pilots and they had this digital video technology they were using from Intel called DVI. And it was, I, I remember seeing digital video on the desktop off of a hard drive, which didn't exist back then. Now we laugh about that. But, and I said, man, that's, that's digital video. That can be transferred over modems. And yeah, and I said, what if, what if we put that on kiosks? And then I said, I just graduated from college a year ago, whatever, a couple months ago. And we should do advertising. I'm like, I should do advertising kiosk college campuses. And that was my first company. It was called Icon, I-K-O-N, Interactive Kiosk Online Network. And I went out to then basically build these kiosks and put them into colleges. That's wild. So that was, so you didn't sit there and say necessarily, I'm going to go and find a role in tech. I mean, you really kind of stumbled upon it and yet you were curious about it. And had ideas to grow it. I love that. Yeah, and I, and I wasn't an engineer. You know, I I didn't I didn't have an engineering degree or anything. I had a marketing degree in English literature. I had to learn how to program. I had to teach myself. Technology wasn't like it is today. It wasn't like you got on AWS or being in a being an engineer was cool or you know, engineering was not like that or programming. It wasn't as, you know, it was like mainframes and basic. That was what you were using COBOL. Yeah. It was like yep. this type of stuff. So it wasn't something cool and hip and interesting, but I got into it and I really loved it. And I found it a really good creative outlet for myself uh, because you can really do anything you want. We were limited back then by like 14 colors. 
that's the screen could only do 14 colors outside the video. So the palette of creating graphics was pretty limited. But yeah, I went after it. I I, I put fifty thousand dollars on credit cards because I got some credit cards out of college. There was no venture capital back in that day and age. It wasn't really wasn't happening. And uh, and I just went for it. And I started to get. I got the first kiosk up at Towson State University in like ninety ninety two ninety three. And then I rolled out four or five others and uh, started to sell advertising. And it was like digital advertising and it was pre-internet and digital video. And you touch the screen and you watch the video and then you do all these cool things. And, and uh, that's how I cut my teeth in technology. It's interesting because you probably like, where did you find budgets, you know, that you could go after all of those kind of conversations? I mean, I say today, I mean, the, the 90s and, and tech, and I, of course, was in that world as well, where you're, you know, you're making it up as you go along, right? Like, I mean, people, you probably walked in and said, hey, you want to reach college students? And you didn't exactly know how that was all going to go, but you just, <laughs> right? I mean, you I tried. Really, and- I, yeah, I mean, I have my first check I ever got was from a lacrosse loyal, uh, Maryland's a big lacrosse state. And there was a guy who sold lacrosse, you know, sticks and everything to to kids in college and high school. And he was my first customer and we advertised on the kiosk. We made a video for him and, and it was in the student union building. So only people who could see it would be in the student union building. But then I picked up like Capitol records and the New York times and Northwest airlines. And people were curious, you know, we didn't charge a lot. It was like $500 to make the video and another hundred dollars a month. So, you know, for anyone, it was it was re, it was cheap to get on it, and then you know the school liked it because there was a lot of stuff about school schedules and the university. The kids would put videos on about their clubs and things like that. So it was it was it kind of worked. But you're right, it, the things I had to sell, you know, we were selling kind of a dream about the future. Yeah, no, absolutely. And what was the thing that you learned most about yourself and and in that role? Uh, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes in the first company. I uh, I made every mistake in the book. I hired the wrong people. I, I did raise some money from like friends and family and all sorts of people that I shouldn't have, you know, who didn't know anything about any business I was in. And and then it went under, you know, I, I uh, in 1995, uh, the internet started to happen. And then I could see the end of the kiosk business because the internet was starting to happen. Some of our customers were asking for, like, do you do websites? And I'm like, sure, we do websites. And I just realized that the internet was going to be pervasive. It was going to be in everyone's homes. It was going to be in the students' dorms. Not They're going to have to go to the, the, someplace like the student union building. And uh, I remember it was a really fateful day, but uh, we put up a, uh, one of these in, at, at New York University. It's like, a, it's like a jewel of the university system. And, and we had this artist, D'Angelo. Uh, who was really big back in the 90s, do a, a set, like an acoustic set, because Capitol Records sent them over. And it was thousands of people came out. I was so proud. And yet I got a call from Northwest Airlines on my phone during the this event. And they asked me if I could do a website. And I was like, ugh. I said, that's the end of the kiosk business. And I remember I, uh, I, st- I really just started to wind the company down. And I started to build websites and, and I moved to New York City by November and uh, I was broke. I literally didn't have any money. And uh, that was kind of my start of this company was, was through that lesson. I learned a lot. It was very painful for me 
I mean, I, I was kind of fighting depression at the time um, because I, I just was, didn't understand what was going on. And I felt like a loser, you know, and I, and I felt like I, I failed. I ended up sleeping on a couch, which is part of the story. But for, I started sleeping on this couch in the small office and and because uh, I couldn't afford an apartment. And I just kind of built from nothing, you know, one day at a time forward. I love that story. And so Live Person starts in 1995. You've taken us up to that point. So how did it get started? That one part, that first, uh, you know, November 95 is when I incorporated. And then I moved to New York City. And uh, I started just build websites, you know, just to get into it and learn how to do HTML and all that stuff. And there was a very small group of us in New York City that were involved with it. It was kind of cool. Agency.com and Razorfish, the mm-hmm. heads of that, and there were a couple other of us. We'd get together and like hang out and talk about HTML and and uh, Cold Fusion and all these technologies are pretty nascent at the time for making a website. Um, at the same time, I was going through a lot of personal issues. I was like, I was just struggling, and I, I needed to start to learn to change myself as a person to reach the dreams I've always had, I had for a long time. And, uh, so I, I was seeing a psychiatrist at the time, Dr. Frank Morio, who I had on my podcast, uh, over the wall a, a couple of months ago. And, and we talked about that. I found him and, and he took me and he didn't charge me anything. And he started to work with me on kind of reprogramming my brain. And the way I was perceiving the world, I, I, you know, what I, I, I really didn't understand my perception of the world. And, you know, it's like, I always say, it's like, I was wearing glasses that were given to me at birth and they were fuzzy, mm-hmm. but because I'd grown up with them, I thought this is the way clarity is. And they were very fuzzy. And so when somebody, I would meet people and make decisions, I wasn't making it with a good mind. Dr. Frank made me understand is that made me really uh, take a lifelong journey of realizing that you never know where you are. Like you never know if you're wearing the right set of glasses. Even today, you know, I have doubts, mm-hmm. even though I'm running a company of 1500 people and, you know, we're running about a half a billion in revenues and stuff. And I still, you know, I, I have to always look at myself and say, do I have the right set of glasses on? Yeah. But that's what I got. I learned at that moment. It was about two years I was on that couch working with Frank. And then finally I got off the couch, got an apartment and moved forward. That's awesome. And so live person, you had this idea. For chat. Yeah. For web chat. Yeah. For the, for the chat. So you're doing the websites and then you just decide, but like what, what inspired you? What made you believe that web chat needed to be happening? Yeah. We were building some e-commerce sites uh, early on and, and I realized they were just like so bad. Like they were, they were just like, you know, vending machines and like you couldn't touch anything and you put your credit card in and, you know, and, and it was really terrible. And I said, you had to put people in the store. There's got to be live people here. And a lot of times they just put a phone number on and then you would have to call a phone number. I was like, this is a terrible experience. Like, especially back then, people don't realize it was dial-up service and ISDN service. So a lot of times you would have to like hang up your internet connection, make a phone call, like your website sort of cached there on your browser and yeah. you're like looking around, but you're not it was a mess. So I said, there's got to be a better way to do this. And I invented uh, web chat. I saw ICQ, which was consumer messaging. But I said, why can't, I, why can't we do something like this for the web for businesses? 
and and so I invented web chat in 95 and then a uh, 97 and then from there we just kind of focused and you know started to build like it was really interesting back then uh, we'd go out to customers and we'd see great successes also built the first cloud it was like we were hosted from day one it didn't really exist hosted software but I thought there's got to be a better way to deliver software so we did it hosted and uh, there were about five of us in the company when we got when we got that idea. That's crazy. With five people in the company. I mean, that's just, that's insane. I mean, on, I remember those days and I was at AOL at the time. You talked about yeah. ICQ and AOL chat and people would get in huge fights with their roommates or their brothers or whatever on, you know, this dial up service. It was, you know, good times, right? It was, oh. it was, you know, real, it was insane, but I bet it too. I mean, you're at, it was at a time when people were trying to figure out why they needed websites for their companies. They would have a store. Uh, one of the stories I share in my book is talking to Mickey Drexler at the Gap and trying to convince him to set up a website. And he's like, I have stores all over the place. Like the people can just go to my stores. And so, and I said, <laughs> actually, but there's other people that have these uh, catalogs and direct-to-consumer businesses that it were beginning to start. Anyway, it's good good time. So as oh, yeah. you grew the business and you're continuing to, uh, to do that, then the dot-com bust in the early 2000 hits. Tell me about that time. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we got funded in 99, uh, the end of 99. We were then you know, just going to town. There were five of us, but I was like, we're going to go big and we want to go public one day. And so we raised, uh, we ended up raising 40 million in basically a few months. And from there we went public on April 7th of 2000. So, uh, I mean, late 98, beginning of 99 is when we got funded. One year later, we're going public, uh, in the middle of the dot-com, you know, implosion and April 7th of 2000, when we went out, and then very quickly, it dawned on me that we would most likely have a very painful moment. And, um, and I, you know, I, I did a couple of things that I thought could help us survive. It was pretty obvious to me that the dot-com implosion was going to be for real. A lot of people believe that it was just a temporary thing and there would be more money. But what happened was 50% of our customers were dot-comers. So we were all mm -hmm. feeding. That's what makes a bubble. You, real bubbles are created when you're feeding upon yourself. And then once the funding starts, stops, right. then it's it, you know, it, you know, it all fell apart. So after we went public, it was very quickly, you know, I, 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 I by January, February of 2001, we went into a restructuring and started, we terminated 140 out of 180 people in, in a, basically a day. And it was a very painful experience. And, uh, you know, my, my, and then, then 9-11 hit and we were in New York and we watched the actual towers come down. So I remember 2001, it hardened me, definitely hardened me as a person and it hardened our company, you know, like the company itself beyond me got very hardened in 2001. Like we built a very strong foundation because we survived mm -hmm. and we went through extreme measures to survive and we did it. And when you come out the other side of that, you know, knock on wood, I mean, we've, we've had some bad days, but uh, 2001 was surreal. It was pretty yeah. surreal. 
crazy time. I read somewhere you had a quote, I forgot the basics of business. Raising capital made us feel like a successful business. Why is this takeaway so important for new entrepreneurs to hear? Yeah, I'll never forget this. Highland Capital, which is a a big VC firm. At the time, Mm -hmm. they funded all the great companies, Yahoo and everyone at that time. They had a conference with all of their CEOs and they had eToys and all these guys. And I'll never forget this, but uh, the eToy, they they had a couple of CEOs would speak and eToys at that time was like the big behemoth, like, wow. Mm -hmm. And Toby Lank ran it. And Toby got up on stage and he was like, we're going to, it was right before the holidays. We're going to, he just raised, I think, $500 million at the time. He's like, we're going to spend it all on this holiday. We're going for it. We're going big. And I remember like, oh, I felt like such an underachiever. I'm like, my God, that guy's so amazing. We're like, ah, ah." yeah. And uh, (laughs) the next guy got up, which was uh, Reggie, uh, Leonard Riggio, the the CEO of uh, Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they had, they had at that Highland Capital at that time was buying.com. So they bought barnesandnoble.com and staples.com in a joint venture. And they would have those companies, they would do the .com and they bought the rights. So they had him speak and he got up there and they asked like the question, like, what are you going to do during the doc? You know, what are you doing? And he said, I'm going to, I'm going to let Toby spend all of his money because <laughs> I, I looked at his, I looked at his P and L and he has negative gross margins, like negative 40% gross margins. So unless you don't, unless you people don't know what that means, for every dollar he makes, so every time someone buys his product, he loses a dollar forty. <laughs> so I remember thinking, that's a bad math equation. And yeah. if he actually so he says, and then he puts the period on, he goes, so if he if he actually spends the five hundred million dollars. And a lot of people buy, I project he'll be out of business by February. He'll be bankrupt. <laughs> and I remember, I remember silence, crickets. Yeah. We were all and like a bomb went off. Is still on stage, right? Through the No, yeah, no, he's back. He's down now here. Oh, but he's down. The rest okay. of people like, right. We're half, I think half, probably three, 80% of people are like, oh, that guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Margins don't matter. You know, this is what we were all in that mindset. Yeah. I remember I got up during the break. I called my CFO. I said, what's our, what's our gross margins? He said, negative 25%. <laughs> so I, I said, oh my God, you're saying for every dollar we make, we lose a dollar 25. Yeah. But we can grow out of it. I said, how long is it until we grow out of it? You know, get to positive gross margins. He said, well, my projections, which are aggressive are two to three years from now. I was like, oh, so turns out Toby went bankrupt in, uh, I think, April. (laughs) We then went back and I took it very seriously that I forgot. I forgot what the hell business was. Even today, when I look at people's, I like, we look at companies strategically and stuff, or I look to invest personally and I look at their, I look at their P&L and I look at gross margins and I've seen companies that have like 40% gross margin, not negative. And I'm like, that's a terrible gross margin. Sometimes it, they can make it work if it's retail, but like in software, it's a hard margin to make. And they just don't, then they try to give me excuses. Like they'll say, well, that's because of bubble. And I'm like, my God, they don't understand the PL. But uh, it was a lesson learned. Know your PL. Yeah, absolutely. And so how did your business change at that point? 
Well, you know, I, we went back and the, once again, it was like, everything was kind of coming together. And I realized like I had, I basically sat down and said like, what is it going to take to make a real company here? And then I looked at our customer base and then um, it just changed my mentality about spending money. Mm-hmm. What I realized at the time is that we've lost money before. We've, we've even were lo- losing money only two years ago. So I was investing heavily, but I, I learned a lesson about losing money. Like it starts really small. You lose like, let's say every month you lose a thousand dollars and you lost a thousand dollars. Why not 10? Then you're like, yeah, I lost 10. We can do 50 this, this month. And eventually like for us, it became 2 million a month. And back then that was a lot of money and it was out of control. And what you realize when you get to a certain place that you're spending what I call out of control, you're not in control of your spend. And as a CEO, it's very dangerous to lose control um, of your spend because when you go to reel it back in, the pain, by the way, you can sit with everybody. I I remember I sat with my team at the time, like, we're going to go out of business and you explain. And then everyone says, but we can't cut back. We can't cut back. Mm -hmm. We're spending this money. I need this part. What do you think? Nobody, there's no rationalization that the money you're spending may not be worth it. So everyone's like, well, I hired correctly and I'm, we need this for the business. And it's a really painful conversation. So once you cross over that road to reel it back is very hard. And we did reel it back. And when we reeled it back, it was an extremely painful moment. And we fired a lot of people and it was terrible. And I was very young at the time. And it was, it was like, you know, we just did it because I feared being back on the couch. The thing that drove me was the fear of being in the couch, sleeping in that couch. I, if I didn't have that experience, it was a very painful experience for me. I probably wouldn't have made the changes. I probably just would have went along like everyone else did and said, well, we can't cut all these people, but we did and we survived. I love that because challenging times, as I always say, are those are, you know, those learning moments. Sometimes they're ugly, right? And you you want to forget about them, but you actually learn a lot about, you know, how to improve your business or how not to ever go there. Right. And it's uh that's such a great, a great example for sure. So let's talk about AI and how are you using AI now? And what is it? What do you think AI is to the future of, you know, just communicating with the customer? Yeah. You know, I, the name of the company is a live person. So it's uh, for a long time, I, I'd seen people trying to automate conversations and I didn't see it work. Mm-hmm. And it was only, you know, cause we're always looking, we're a premium product in the market because we invest a lot in our technology. We're, we're always, we invented a new, like four, four and a half years ago, we launched the first messaging asynchronous messaging platform for a company with T-Mobile. And then now we've got, you know, hundreds of customers on our thousands. And, uh, but we were the first to do that. It took three years to build it. And then, then when we saw that people really wanted to use messaging more than chat, and then we could really scale that, we needed to learn how to automate that with high quality. And so what we've been able to do is really because of the ability to take large data sets, and we, we run about anywhere between 50 and 70 million conversations a month right now run on our platform through one of our 18,000 companies, and those are, that's about 50 or 60 million consumers a month. Those conversations are very rich in data. And because we can take those conversations and see like, how do people pay for their credit card bill in a bank across 40 of the largest banks? 
we can really automate and understand conversational automation and AI at a very, a very high quality. And that's what we're always shooting for. So, you know, I, I'm a big believer. Now I know that 80% of conversations that we're having with businesses could be automated. Hmm. And by the way, and, and, the, and what I've come to realize, the only reason we have humans in contact centers, the majority of the reason, not the only, but is because the backend systems at most companies are very old and very broken. And a human is needed to interface between your intent and the backend system, but you don't want to speak to someone. Mm-hmm. And you really just want your question answered wherever it comes from. And so, so there will, it's moving very quick now. And uh, I could see a time where uh, we automate at least 80%, if not more, of the conversations. I totally agree. I think that the, the key thing is actually getting people to figure out that it really isn't about the front end. It really is about the back end. And that's what leads to so many problems. But how has COVID really affected businesses as you see it? I mean, I'm sure there's so many people that are really relying on their own direct-to-consumer business today or beginning to. I mean, that probably has hugely impacted your business as well. Yeah, I mean, we grew, um, you know, our traffic on our services, on our platform, on our cloud grew by, we grew 40% between April and March of last year. So when COVID hit, all the contact centers got shut down and there was a mad dash to do messaging and automation because a lot of the people who answer voice calls were in places in the world where they couldn't answer a voice call at home, like the Philippines or in India. A lot of times they don't have broadband access to their homes, can't take a phone call with the secure like the security of, of asking someone for their credit cards and things like this. So automation and, and conversational AI really became in demand. And then we saw like stores, we have like our the big home improvement, uh, two of the big home improvement companies. I mean, we like quadrupled the amount of, of revenue that we were taking through our platforms. It's hundreds of millions of dollars were added in incremental revenue because people wanted to communicate versus go in the store. And now we're th- seeing so, so many cool things like Chipotle. We have a, a bot that you can, I can call Pepper that you can configure your, your burrito. Dunkin' uh, Donuts, it's called Dunkin' Now. We're doing a whole loyalty program that you join their loyalty program through messaging and through an automation. So it's like all these cool use cases. Um, we got one of the big crypto exchanges, the one that just went public. Uh, we're setting them up for customer care because people have so many questions about buying crypto or they have an issue. And, and the, the system they were using didn't work too well. And, and they're looking for something that can really scale conversations with automation. So there's so many cool things going on right now. It's, it's quite exciting. So it's not just about problems with orders. It's actually about retention. And right. I mean, it sounds like those are really, really great use cases. So I'm certainly going to check them out as well. So very, very, very cool. So what advice would you give to new entrepreneurs who are maybe trying to weather the storm, um, you know, coming out of COVID, but also just overall? I mean, I feel like you've given some great pieces of advice uh, along the way and sort of what you've learned too. But what would you say to that? First, you know, we had an amazing year. Actually, we had amazing, this past quarter, we grew 38% which is our highest growth rate in the history That's of the company. Great. But we're all weathering a storm. Mm-hmm. So I, I need you to understand, like I, I wake up in the morning and I feel a lot of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And although our business is doing really well, I, you know, 
we're not we're working remotely and although we've embraced it and done a good job i i I, there's uncertainty about like what's the path back Mm -hmm. or the path i never go back i go forward so what's the path forward there's a lot of uncertainty around customers like where what are they doing you know what are they thinking and so you know during these times i think the most important thing to understand is that being an entrepreneur your whole goal is to live in uncertainty like you can never it, you can never get out of it and even mm-hmm. at at my size people think like oh i remember when i i've been remember one person on a the couch then i hired one employee then another and another and i've seen it so people think when you're at a certain size even like this size like it must be easy you got all these people working for you and there's all these leaders and it's not because you're constantly pushing the company into growth. Mm-hmm. You're pushing it into areas that you've never experienced. And this thing with COVID and everything is, is, is something we're all experiencing around the world. We're all being pushed into new places. So the first thing I would say is like, we're all together in this. If you are feeling uncertain, I feel uncertain. I'm talking about, I, I know the head of the biggest companies in the world feel uncertainty. So don't, don't sweat it. The second thing is the way to get over it is just do the work. Mm-hmm. Like I find the best thing I can do is do my work and fill my day with work. The, you know, the, the idle mind is the playground of the devil, especially for entrepreneurs. You know, focus, like spend the first part of your day, like going out and acquiring, you know, acquiring, le- acquiring leads, acquiring new customers, whatever it is. I'm saying like, I've been in places like when I started the company that just finding a customer was tough. I get that. I've been there. So like, but you, you can pick up the phone and what I've always said is keep walking. I, I remember I, I did this glacier hike in New Zealand with my, with a friend of mine and, and it was a seven day hike and we had no business doing this hike by the way, but we did. And we were up on this glacier and, and we got hit with a very bad storm and it was, and we were all tied in. So it was the, Two guides, myself, my best friend, and another person who we didn't know, but he was he was on the trip with us. And he fell down. I remember we walked and we we're all tied together, and the wind was like 70, 80 miles an hour. And, and and he stopped. And we all gathered around him. And the the guide said, Keep walking, keep walking. And he said, even if we walk an inch. You got us keep walking forward. We can't, we'll, we'll get, we'll freeze here. It was really that severe. And we just got up, I mean, all of us. And I was like, also, you just wanted to quit. I just, I put some music, I, I put my earphones in and just cranked up, I don't know, Motley Crue or something. <laughs> and I just kept walking. Yeah, I put on some, I have a U2 or something like, so I put up, but I walked, I remember walking no more than a half a foot at a time for, I think it took us four hours to get off the, to get on the other side of the glacier. And it, and it left an impression on me that you can't stop. So if you're an entrepreneur, do not Complacency stop. Complacency will kill you. Yeah. Complacency will, freezing up will kill you. Think, staying in your mind about what's wrong or right will kill you. But there's always a customer who wants to buy your stuff. You will find it. I mean, you know, trust me, but do not be complacent. Do not get caught in your head. Do not get caught in the little voice in your head. All of us have this very this challenging voice in our head that we're trying to fight. And uh, I ask people on my podcast too, which I'm going to have you on that, obviously, Kara, but it's like, I, you know, I always ask them like, what's the little voice in your head? What is, what does that little nasty voice say to you that you're fighting? Yeah. 
everyone has it. Everyone has it. I mean, it's what I call in my book that, you know, the doubters, right? You're your biggest doubter. And then when you run into and family and friends are they try and be helpful. They're really not right because they feed that doubt. They know exactly. And they want you to not take risk. Right. They want you to quit. I mean, they're just this little voice out there that just can really, really hone in on it. And it's the worst, right? And then, you know, then you start comparing yourself to everybody else in the industry. And, you know, you think that they're, they've got it all figured out. They don't have fears. They don't have doubts. They, they do it all perfectly because you don't have any of their own doubts, right? And I, I, yeah, I can't wait to talk about that, but stuff that I've learned along the way for sure. Well, thank you so much, Rob. This is, it's great to have you on today. And thanks so much for walking us through your roller coaster of an entrepreneurial journey for sure. And uh, if you haven't checked out Live Person, I mean, it's such an incredible company and everything that you've built. And I really, uh, I'm, it's very exciting to hear some of the new ways that people are using um, just that technology too, to do retention and, and life cycle marketing. And it's uh, very, very cool. So also his podcast that Rob mentioned over the wall one day soon, I will. You're going to be on it. Yeah. Very exciting. And, uh, and overall, just thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we are here every Monday and Wednesday and please give this five stars and subscribe on your favorite platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other platform. And please follow me on um, social channels at Kara Golden. Rob, where's the best place to reach you on social? Yeah, so you can uh, you can catch me on all Instagram and all that, but the podcast is on all the over the wall. You'll find it on Apple and all the YouTube and everything, uh, Spotify. So I, I'm, I'm in all the channels. And what I wanted to do is really get back, you know, I found like you, and I think it's great that you're doing this. It's, it's like a give back. Totally. You know, we've been through a lot. You've, you've done amazing things with your company. And, you know, when you've been around as long as we have, I think you feel it'd be great to give back and you don't want, pe- you know, what you took to, to take this. So I tried in over the wall to interview people and, and, uh, and just get into the reality of what this is all about, the mental game of being an entrepreneur. I, I love it. It's so many great stories on there for sure. And I mentioned my book too. Hopefully you'll all go out if you haven't already purchased my book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, because a lot of this, my whole journey is uh, in there as well. And you can get it on Amazon or your favorite bookstore. And of course, be sure to grab a case of Hint along the way too. And thanks everybody for joining us and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. 
And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Kara Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.